live Justin Spaulding episode episode 11 right 11 episode 11 11th straight week staying consistent persistent and consistent it's the name of the game so we don't get too many live viewers around here you know it's usually my mom my dad a couple of close friends we watch it live we have it streaming live in here to help our help us pump our own numbers right we're on we're live on clubhouse by the way today so if you want, and if you're on Clubhouse and you're listening or watching live right now and got to go and can't be in front of the screen or whatever, you can hop on on Clubhouse, join the room. Um, you can follow me on Clubhouse at Justin Spaulding, just like all my other handles, and then um, join that room. And if you have questions as we go through here, you can raise your hand in there and we're going to bring in uh, questions if they come up on Clubhouse. Um, and so for those of you already joining us on Clubhouse, thank you for hopping in and joining us for the 11th episode of Justin Spaulding. March 5th, 2021, coming up on spring. It's finally getting warmer here in Wisconsin. About to see about to see what we have for damage. We're finding out what we have for damage from the ice dams, right? Getting through all that. Actually, it wasn't too bad this year. A few years ago when that polar, polar vortex came yeah. through, it messed up a lot of real estate. Really? Yeah. Not ours as bad as some others, but we had a handful of apartments that got just jacked up. No, it's like... Uh, ice damming, so like the the up in the gutters, there's oh. ice and stuff, and then if you don't have the a good ice shield, water once that once that starts to melt, the ice blocks it from getting to the gutter, so it has to go somewhere. It finds a way into your roof and messes up the ceilings, and then um, we had frozen pipes, even though our stuff's all properly insulated, but that's how cold it was two years. Oh. Do you do you guys remember yeah, that? I remember it. Yeah. Literally, there was like there was like frost on some of the outlets. Like it was in so insanely cold. We didn't have that this year, thank God. But um, but yeah, it's just and then like Madison, like the campus had a ton of damage from burst water pipes, and it's just there's a lot of insurance claims because of that. So so glad to be coming into spring where it's prime leasing season. Um, we're making we're making up some ground at Signature Twenty Three. I know where um, we're still wrapping up. You know our apartments there and getting them remodeled. Um, some Riverview facing apartments and get them remodeled and updated and hopefully get our occupancy up there over the winter we're about 70 percent occupied as we finished the last round of uh actually over there so we we had a corporate contract there that had like they must have had 14 apartments of the 47 and i agreed to it at the beginning because i'm like okay when i bought the place like the whole idea was to turn that property around i'm like okay we'll have a corporate contract they'll pay all the way through you know whatever well they did a ton of damage in the year and a half they were there so we booted all them out like mid 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 of last year and did a lot of non-renews and stuff but going through wrapping up those apartments so hopefully getting those apartments here all done and then get that thing up to 90 92 occupied by you know may and hopefully by june july be 100 percent occupied and done there and um that'll be a cash cow when it's done so so springtime that's what's on my mind in spring of 2021 springdale to the 199 unit that thing's turning around getting those things cranking there the rent roll right now at springdale says 199 units we bought it in uh november 2019 the rent roll right there there right now we're 80 we're like 81 percent occupied there the rent roll right now is the same as when they had it the previous owners had it at 98 percent occupied so we're we're cranking along there our company prime painters has been out there doing a ton of drywall work doing a ton of painting um and then we've got you know new cabinets going in new flooring going in a lot of the units by the time that thing's said and done we'll probably have um probably have like 110 apartments that are partially or fully remodeled so and then the rest of them were already remodeled by their company or just didn't necessarily need it and were able to re-rent them and, and roll with it so trying to add value everywhere bring up the property bring up the property's cash flow bring up the property's value because um, really that's where you get the value right the more cash flow the more value so so a lot of exciting things going on what about what about you rider when's your uh riders riders things keeps getting delayed here we're, we're setting stone on next wednesday but um, with some things with I don't want to talk about it just in case. Yeah, you don't need to. Yeah. But you know, So March 10th, Ryder closing on his seven unit. Yeah. 10 a.m. March 10th. You got like notices drafted? How, how are they going to know who owns the property now? How, they're going to just send the rent so checks? They're going to send the rent checks to the old owner or what? <laughs> 
I mean, see now, now you get to the point. To, but... Now you're probably close enough to the point where you gotta start figuring out the operational right. end, right? Yeah, and I have, I have the software. Oh, that's right. Using the what are you using? Tenant clouds app. Tenant cloud. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. It's pretty good for stuff. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. But that'll help you. That'll allow you to do like rent rolls. Yep. And, like notices through there and leases through yep. there or what? Yeah, I can do everything. Your accounting through there? Um. Yes. See, this is like when I started, I was doing everything, like what yeah. you're about to do. I was doing the marketing, the leasing, the advertising. I was doing some maintenance. And that's what you're gonna be doing. But then you learn it. Then you learn it. I did. I did some painting. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> did some painting. What else did I do, man? I remember I, there was subfloor that had to be replaced. I replaced subfloor, and that was interesting. Because I'm not good with. I mean, you saw me out here that day. <laughs> There's an Instagram video of me using the screwdriver and it's just not a drill it's not pretty so all right what about you modine what's going on thousand dogecoin yeah <laughs> <laughs> closing the thousand dogecoin um, thousand dogecoin will cost you two pennies right two pennies two <laughs> <laughs> all right cool what do we got for questions today we, i think we had like a handful of questions that came in before once again if you're listening live, watching live anywhere, you can you can follow me on Clubhouse at Justin Spaulding um, on Clubhouse. If you have an Apple, I don't think it's available on Androids yet. If you have an Apple, you can go find me there. You can join the room, and we can uh, hear your voice through the podcast. You can ask questions live. I think that's a cool feature to be able to have. Um, but then, if you have questions while we're just going along, whether you're watching on Facebook or um, um, Facebook or Twitter or wherever else we're at, leave the question and we'll we'll answer it. My dad said uh, he had me back on the subflooring. Pro- he had my back on the subflooring project. I don't remember, Dad. <laughs> Did you? I can't remember. <laughs> I remember doing. I remember doing a lot of stuff alone there too. I remember my dad helping me with outlets. I remember him. No, yeah, he did help me with the subflooring. So, yeah, it's just like horrible, horrible, horrible. I'm horrible at that stuff. Hands-on stuff. I understand the processes now. But man, all right, Mudin, first question. What does SD mean? How should? I always forget what SD, these abbreviations. Yeah, yeah. How should? I, the first question is for those of you listening and are watching, the first question is how should I propose my parents to let me use? We already had this question. Did we? Yeah. Last week, yeah, Mudin. Mudin's like that. shaking his head, like in disbelief at himself already as I'm reading the question. Mudin's like, yeah, Mudin. This. Was this on there too? Yeah, that one was as well. That, that was that was my question. <laughs> well, Dean's in straight up panic mode right now because he's go. pulling up last week's questions. All right, I know this is a new one. Uh, should you still use OPM? OPM, by the way, if people that can see the screen, the, the question is: Should you still use OPM if you have one million dollars cash? OPM stands for other people's money. Yes, you should still use other people's money if you have $10 million cash, $20 million cash. Why, why not? Um, you don't have to. But if you ask me, if this question is at me, yes, I still would. Um, because of what we have doing going here. At that point, if you have a million dollars cash, you can go raise another million dollars more and go ha- now have $2 million to buy a larger property or have more options, right? So anytime you have... More, more money, more liquidity, it gives you more options. When you have more options, there's more deals that you can do and can pull off. Uh, the less funds that you have, the less options that you have, right? Then you as well, the benefit to you as the, the operator is you're gonna, get a, you're gonna get compensated for making other people's money work, right? So for having success with other people's money, you can get compensated for that. So I, I'm someone, you, by no means do you have to, but number one, you're gonna have way more options if you're using other people's money along with your money, even if you have a million dollars, $5 million, $10 million, $100 million. Someone that has $500 million has more options than someone that has $100 million. So if you have $100 million, you can go find another $400 million to match your $100 million. Now you have $500 million, now you, can, you have way more options, way less boundaries. The less boundaries you have, the more opportunity that's gonna be available to you. Um, it's like when people ask when they're getting started, Hey, I have $5,000. Where should I invest it in real estate? Like, well, that's a hard, like you are very limited with what you can do with five, $5,000. Not that it can't be done, but you're very limited. You can't go buy a $10 million property tomorrow. It's going to take a lot more effort because you're going to have to raise more money, et cetera, et cetera. Versus if you've got $10 million of your own money, you could close on any deal tomorrow, backfill it with other investors money, which is another topic for another time. Um, 
So yes, more cash on hand, whether it's a combination of, you know, more cash on hand, a combination of your own cash plus other investors' cash, you have more options. I would do it all day long. That's my advice. Ryder asked, is there a reason you only accept accredited investors just from a legality standpoint? Um, you know, that's that's really, in my opinion, what we do is safer than someone going investing in the stock market. But the government wants, to, in my opinion, Wall Street and the government want to limit the best investments to themselves, right? The people that are, you know, they're, they're almost in a sense making the rules, right? The rich are kind of making the rules. They're limiting uh, access to people. I, I have full confidence that people investing in our deals, the way that we're buying is, is definitely more beneficial than them having a 401k, than them having a Roth, than them having whatever. Um, but I can only take accredited because of the hurdle that I have to cross to, to be able to take on unaccredited funds. It's a lot more money out of my pocket getting the correct filings with the SEC and all the paperwork done. I have a higher hurdle plus because of this accredited um, and, and these the laws around the securities laws and all this stuff around accredited, non-accredited, there's more risk also when I'm taking on non-accredited investors because they think non-accredited people or non-accredited investors don't know what they're investing in, you know, whatever. Um, so they they pretend to say, hey, it's to protect those that are most quote unquote at risk because they don't have the knowledge or the know-how, which I get and I understand. But at the same time, it just limits other people. You're not gonna you're not gonna get wealthy in a 401k. I mean, like you can do well, yeah. Can you retire? Yeah. Are you gonna get wealthy? No. Same thing with the IRA. I mean, can you can you make enough to make ends meet when you're done and want to retire? Yeah, probably. Right. You're gonna get wealthy? No. A 401k is not gonna let you you know go out and do the things that you want to do. Um over the next 10 years. Investing in real estate, like 10, in five, 10 years, it can drastically change your life. So, so yes, use other people's money is my suggestion. Muddy next. Hey, Justin. Yes. While we're, while we're on that, actually, I wanna talk about um, potentially borrowing from your 401k. Somebody that, you know, has been working for a company for a while and, um, you know, wants to hop over into the commercial real estate world or the real estate world in general and wants to uh, take some money out of their 401k for their first property. Yeah, so I I know we have investors, Greg, that have done that. That was Greg, by the way. He was, you could hear his voice because he was uh, chiming in through uh, Clubhouse because um, Mundine, they could hear that, right? Yeah, so just when it, when it comes to 401k and borrowing from it now, I, Greg, I personally am probably not the expert to talk on that. I need to become more well-versed in that to, to be able to advertise that and push that further on our investors and stuff like that. But I do have a couple of investors that they just knew how to do it already. So they, they've done that. Um, and what they did, yeah, they borrowed against their 401k and I, I write the, I know the distribution checks get written back out to their 401k essentially. Um, and the the people that have done that with us, they've showed me what their 401k was was uh, how it was performing before and how it's performing now with the deals that they're in on us with us now, and um, it's insane the growth that they've had moving their ROI their their uh, 401k over with us and having it be in our real estate investments. But I do know this: I know that there's some people that have wanted to do and, and Greg, I don't know. I remember I'll let you chime back in in a second. Cause you might be more well, a little bit more well versed in this than I am even. Um, they've wanted to move over their 401k over, but it's not a self-directed plan. And so like the people that are controlling the plan or where the plan is sitting have been giving them big issues on releasing those funds and you know, all this stuff. So I know it needs to be a certain type of 401k. I believe we also had another, um, guy that he ended up investing about $250,000 with us in the last deal, successful business owner. He also has a 401k and he was unable to make it work where he could use his, his 401k. So I know it, it's not always doable, at least from my understanding, I could be wrong um, on that. Um, Greg, do you have a little bit more information on that? Do you know much more about that or? Yeah, I'm still doing research on how I can pull out from mine and I've been looking up self-directed as well and educating myself on that. Honestly, I think, and I brought this up for any listeners because, you know, this might be valuable for some newbies that are trying to hop in. If you have sales skills, I think it's actually more beneficial to go out and network and try to get OPM 
over your own 401k because it gets you out to the market, gets you networking with people and, and getting that kind of, um, that muscle memory of putting together deals. For sure. But, uh, for sure. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I mean, an example is, you know, my wife has, she's a dentist, she has a 401k and we've looked into that and she, you know, I, I, I don't know if it truly can or cannot be done. Everything that we've found so far is that it can't be done with how it's already set up. Um, now is that the truth or is that just the company that doesn't want to let it go? You know, I, I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm someone that I, I want to learn more about that as well so that I can, um, you know, um, and even the guys that I know the guys that have invested, their 401k with us, they've even came out and said, yeah, it has to be the right 401k plan. I made sure that my plan was completely self-directed so that I could, I could be able to do this. Um, so, so anyways, that was a great point though, Greg. Um, and yes, I agree with what Greg said too. Anytime that you can use other people's money is still greater than just using your 401k. Um, from the standpoint of like it, it ultimately like the connections, the network getting started and, and getting, I'm telling you this, when you can perform and you have success with with other people's money and uh, you know your investors they will be lining up at the door for your next this last deal we had to raise 10 million bucks i i mean i could have raised 15 million 20 million i mean it wasn't it was one of the it was the second deal that i've done now where i never had to worry about where the equity was coming from because i knew when i sent an email out saying guys here we're looking to raise 10 million dollars and this is an email that's going out to 350 to 400 people hey guys we're you know Guys and ladies, we're we're looking to you know raise ten million dollars here. Let me know if you have interest. And literally in like a few days, we were it was like committed. Um, so and it, and it was actually overcommitted because I ended up having another group that wanted to write in more than what they wrote in, and I I had to put a limit on them so that we could still get new investors in and, and all this stuff too. So so uh, it's very powerful to use other people's money, and, and when you have success, you'll have people that will be in on four of your projects, five of your projects with you, and obviously they're not going to do that if you're not having success. But um, if you're learning and doing and um, picking off the right deals, um, once again, this isn't rocket science. Um, it's not building rockets like Elon Musk and, and you don't have to be some, you know, uh, alien or superhuman to to be able to um, do real estate and do it very, very well. Um, so, all right, Madin, let's go to the next question. The next question is, how do you budget what operating expense should be on an um acquisition so basically he's asking when you're doing when i'm doing my due diligence he's asking how do i know what the operating expenses are going to be on that acquisition from a standpoint of the staff and the payroll the repairs and maintenance insurance etc cetera, etc cetera. um well number one in due diligence we're getting the trailing 12 months at least at a very minimum the trailing 12 months of what the property is doing so when you go under contract you get to go through due diligence, right? So you get to you get to now before the contract is signed, the offer to purchase is signed. You have to let the other side know, and it's got to be agreed upon what you have access to, because you can't just get it under contract and then later say, "Oh, I want to see this." Well, if it wasn't, if you didn't state that you needed to see that in the the offer to purchase, they don't necessarily have to get it to you. Um, and so we're always looking to get the trailing twelve months at least. Sometimes we'll go back even twenty four months. Um, and what a trailing 12 months is, if you're watching and are a beginner, um, the trailing 12 months is just, it, it, it kind of removes the seasonality to it. So you, you get to see the most recent 12 months of operations. So if you're looking at a deal in June, you want to see the trailing 12 months, you should be able to get, you know, the month you're in right now, plus 11 months prior to that. Or if you're in early June where their financials aren't done yet, you should be able to get May, which would have been the previous month to the June that you're in right now. May all the way back through the previous June. So you have 12 months of operations where you can see the current cost of how it's currently being operated uh, by the current owner. So, um, but then, you know, you also, I when you get to a point of where we're at, what I do is I look at, I know what it costs us to to do these deals and operate these deals, right? Because I have 700 apartments that I can say, okay, this is what these costs are gonna be. But I can't do that for everything because like repairs and maintenance, that might, that's going to vary on property. That's going to be, you know, depending on what age that property is. Uh, the repairs and maintenance is going to vary on how much capital expenditures this current owner has done. A lot of the things that we have bought, they've been very, the, 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 the seller, the person we were buying from, 
they did not put money back into the property. So they, they had a lot of deferred maintenance that we had to take care of, right? So I had to account for that stuff. And once again, that's a learning thing. So the first time that I went through to budget a property, a big property was the 88 unit we bought. And I've talked about on this show before how I vastly, you know, I, I really underestimated how much um, the capital expenditures and repairs and maintenance were gonna be. So I really under budgeted there. Um, and so now we're closing with anywhere from you know, depending on the deal, $2,000 to $11,000 per unit in each deal as like to have excess cash on hand to, to just number one for emergencies, unexpected things, because unexpected things always come up. Um, and just to be able to take care of a lot of deferred maintenance to hopefully make the ongoing repairs and maintenance less after years, maybe it's after year one, two, three, four, uh, for sure after year three, actually, we should say by, by year three, we were usually able to invest enough money into the, the asset that our repairs and maintenance drop a lot because everything's a lot newer, right? So the repairs and maintenance end, you got to look at the historicals. You got to look at what's been done from a capital expenditure standpoint. The more that's been done from the capital expenditure standpoint, the less deferred maintenance it has, the lower your repairs and maintenance will be. Um, now, if, if you're talking, you know, if we're talking payroll, that's just a company on company thing. Like some people looking at an eight unit, like Ryder putting his numbers together on a seven unit probably didn't account for much payroll because he's like, well, I'm just gonna do this thing myself, which that's what I did when I first started, right? But now if you're looking at buying a hundred unit or you know whatever, at some point you're gonna need help. You can't do everything alone. And so you start to figure out what that costs you. So I know based on the property size and you know stuff like that, what, how much, payroll per unit I'm going to need annually. And for us, depending on the project, that is anywhere from 500 to $1,200 per unit based on the size, based on how much deferred maintenance there is, based on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A good rule of thumb for us is every 100 units will have a property manager uh, and a maintenance tech that are full time. So basically, if you have a 50 unit building, you know, buyer beware, it's going to be really hard for you to just have a full time person on site, always keeping track of that property. A 50 unit can pro will probably have a, a, a person working on the management and leasing side, you know, 20 hours a week and a maintenance tech working 20 hours a week. So that's just a good rule of thumb. But then once again, it changes if the assets really well taken care of, right, then that then that you know maintenance tech for 50 units might actually be 10 hours a week. It might be a lot less because there's a lot less to do because it's there's a lot less to take care of. So that's that's kind of I just know my numbers. Admin from the admin standpoint, like I know um, I know in, in in each bucket. So we have we have a payroll bucket here. Actually, what I'm gonna do right now I'm gonna pop it open my computer so I can go down my list. The buckets that I use when I'm uh, wish we could just share my screen. Can't share my screen. Not today. Can't share my screen today. So the buckets that I use is number one, payroll, right? And that payroll that accounts for maintenance tax, that accounts for property managers, that accounts for leasing agents. And I call it payroll. It's it's not necessarily uh, payroll from the standpoint that the property doesn't actually employ the people. Our employees are actually held by our management company, which is Spalding Group. But the property pays their direct salary. So it's kind of a, just a, a pass through to the entity. But I have, so in, in the property, or in, in our pro form, I have a expense bucket that is payroll. Then I have management fees, right? And now our management fee that is paid to my company, my, my property management company, Spalding Group, is anywhere from three to 5%. If it's 3%, it means there's more units. So at our 199, 199 unit, it's a 3% property management fee. Right, because I have more revenue there. It doesn't make sense to have a five percent management fee. Um, when, usually, when we're under a hundred units, it'll be a five percent management fee. That's just how our business is structured. If it's over a hundred units, we're able to do a three percent uh, management fee. This new portfolio that we bought, there's two separate townhouse sites that are under a hundred units, but we still are doing three percent management there because the rents are high enough. And so, once again, it doesn't. I'm not trying to rob the properties via management fees, right? So that's, that's how I handle that, three to 5% of the management fees. Administrative fees, and once again, these buckets can be different company by company and you know stuff like that. Like what I call administrative and what's in our administrative bucket, other people might put in, you know, other people might take their marketing budget and put that in with their administrative. 
Whereas I have an administrative bucket and I have a marketing bucket. They're separate. So in my administrative bucket, I've got like, you know, that's where our legal fees for evictions go. That's where our software for our management software um, goes. Uh, that's where Eva should chime in, but um, that's that's where a lot of like like office supplies go. And I know that okay, if I have if I have something that's under a hundred units, that that's going to be anywhere from a hundred and ninety to two hundred and twenty dollars a unit per door per year. Once again, if we get up to one hundred ninety nine units, though, it's it's more like one hundred and ten to one hundred and fifty because some of that is just hard costs that you're going to have no matter what. It's not. We can't make it. You just you, no matter what, you're going to have the cost. It's a hundred dollars whether it's you know a ten unit. It's a hundred dollars whether it's a hundred ninety nine unit. So that's why as we have more units, right? And this is why I'm always talking about more units because you have more efficiency, right? So uh, the more units we have, that that can come down, right? Contracted services is another bucket. And, and in contracted services, that's anything that we have that might be, that's out of house, like uh, like like snow removal. When we have another company that we sign a contract with, the, the elevator contract, the landscaping slash lawn mowing contract, those would be, if we have a pest control contract, those would be contracted services. And once again, that that's dependent upon, you know, a property that we have that's 14 acres is going to be a higher price per unit typically on that than a property that might be um, on one acre, right? So so you have a, you could have 300 units that sits on a quarter of an acre in downtown Chicago. They might have less contracted services per unit than my 199 unit on 17 acres because there's just a wider um there's just likely more contracted service things to take care of so that so that can vary between i mean the contracted services can vary between 250 up to i mean i've up to 600 dollars um, per unit per year um you know we have a marketing package uh, or a marketing bucket you know and once again that just kind of depends some people it's a small enough property like like riders seven unit that he's looking at but he might not have to do any paid marketing there so it might be zero i don't know it might be zero or you know like some of our properties were up to 70 dollars a unit you know 35 to 70 dollars per unit once again it depends on how much competition's in the area uh, how much the marketing costs in the area, like apartments.com, they charge you differently, whether it's depending on how much your rents are and depending on how many units you have. So there's a little bit of vari some variable there. Utilities, once again, that's going to be variable, right? So you can use what I do for utilities. I use what they did last year. I add about three, three and a half percent because you never know when the utilities are going to, those companies are going to decide to raise their prices. Um, and so I just take the previous year, I add three and a half percent. I also make sure though, the numbers that they give me in the T12, I take that number and I confirm that that's the actual numbers. You want to get Instagram live going for me? Sure. That those are the actual numbers by getting the last 18 months of all the utility bills. So if I get the T12 from the owner, I'm just trying to set up Instagram live right now too. So if I get the T12 from the owner and the utilities, it says, you know, it's $100,000 a year and that covers water, you know, common area, electric, sewer, I'm in, in like gas for heat. I'm always making sure that I'm getting the previous 18 months, all their bills and I'm going through and we're, we're making sure that that's actually true, that those bills, actual bills match up with what's in the T12 because it would suck to close on a deal thinking that your utilities were $100,000 a year, only to find out there was an extra $20,000 that was sitting out there. So we try to figure out all the account numbers and all the all the places that utilities can be coming from to making sure that we're covered. We're covered from the common area electric, we're covered from vacancy electric and gas, the common area gas, uh, all that stuff. Um, then, you, then I have an insurance bucket. Insurance, you know, it costs us depending, you know, it's insurance is, insane right now but it's it, it depending on the property the newer the property the less insurance is going to be per unit um but it's anywhere between 230 up to 350 dollars a unit per year so if you have 10 units and it's you know 300 dollars a unit per year that's three thousand dollars for insurance right so typically i'm underwriting right now in the deals i'm underwriting about 275 dollars a unit 250 to 275 dollars per unit per year um 
Then we have repairs and maintenance. I kind of touched on that already. That's our bucket uh, that we have there. And then obviously we have real estate taxes. Real estate taxes is another tricky one where it's a little bit of a guessing game. So year one, I usually use whatever it is right now currently. So our year one that we're operating the property, I keep it. And then what I do for year two is I figure out what the county has, has been assessing properties at and what the mill rate is. So I'll go and I'll look up the tax records. I'll figure out, okay, this, I'll figure out the assessment ratio, right? So if, if your property's market value is a million bucks on, on the tax bill, and if they say that your, assess, uh, your assessed value is, so let's say the market value is a million bucks, the assessed value they have at $900,000, that would be a 90% assessment. So for year two, I'm taking 90% of the purchase price that I bought it at, because they'll find that, unless it's an entity sale, which again is a different conversation for a different day. They'll find it, they'll use that, they'll use the sales price, they'll take, take it against the 90% they typically do, and then they'll have the mill rate. And the mill rate is basically how much you're paying per thousand dollars of value. So then that way for year two, like I'm looking at a deal right now, um, let me see something quick. I'm looking at a deal right now that currently, this guy's had it for like 12 years, Currently, the real estate taxes, and these are real numbers, are $550,000. With me figuring out the assessed ratios in the area and the current mill rate, that would put, whenever it gets reassessed, which it could be year two, could be year three, depending on where you're at and located, that tax bill would go from $550,000 up to $881,000. That's a big mistake if you're not accounting for that, right? And I've made that mistake before. I've made that mistake before. I learned, right? I learned. And now we still made it. We're still good, right? Um, but it's just that $300,000 that that's a big difference because if you're, if you don't count that $300,000, um, I mean, that's, that's potentially, you know, that's potentially three to $5 million of value that you're leaving on the table that you, that you lost because you weren't expecting the tax dollars to go up when you take a cap rate to that. So this is a great question, um, but as you have more under management, as you operate more, you get to have more of a feeling and an understanding of what things are gonna cost you. And you know what, when I'm making a budget, I'm still off in certain areas. The nice thing is, is that usually I'm, I overshoot what I think our payroll is gonna be. So our payroll usually ends up being under, which then compensates for if I was too short on the contracted services under, you know, if we went over budget there or over budget on the repairs and maintenance, it ends up being the total expense column ends up being pretty close. So that's a good question. Um, what, uh, what do we got next, Modine? Hi everyone. I'm calling from London. Um, so uh, wait, you're from London. Just you're from to... you're from London. Yeah. Tuning in. How, how how'd you find us? <laughs> yeah. Um, I know Greg. I've known Greg for a few years. Awesome. So um, yeah, cool. Um, so I work in the tech industry, but I've been sort of getting into property like during I don't know, like six seven years ago now. So you know, relatively new and fresh and on a very small scale. But I'm interested to know, like throughout your um, real estate career, what would you say? Um, what was the biggest mistake that you made? Or another way to ask that is what is the biggest learning? I know you just mentioned the 300K um, mistake that you made there, but I suppose it'd be interesting to understand what has been your biggest learning um, so far in your career. The, to, so the easiest way to answer that question is, um, is that it always takes longer and costs more than you think it's going to. So for me, like, you know, I, I always use this example as well. The 88 unit that we bought, I've talked about this, this is the third time now in 11 episodes that I've talked about this, so it keeps coming up. Um, the, the, um, the 88 unit we bought, I made no plans for, um, you know, when the boiler system, the heating, the HVAC system, you know, needed to be updated. I didn't make a plan for that. I'm just like, yeah, we'll figure it out later. Essentially, I, I was so naive, I didn't know, right? Same thing with the roofs. Like I wasn't having to, I wasn't planning on having to redo the roofs in the first two years, that's for sure. I was planning on doing that like year 10. Just like, yeah, we'll punt that and kick it down the road. <laughs> you can't, you can't put like when a roof needs to be changed, it needs to be changed. So that was a mistake, right? Um, now we were able to figure all that out because we bought the deal right. 
Um, we didn't overpay for it. We bought it cash flowing. So we were able to figure all that out and we were able to replace the boilers, replace the roofs all in the first two years. And actually they were great investments because our utility bills went way down. Um, and just like curb appeal and you know, all that stuff. Um, but that, you know, not, not um, you know, going back to the previous question when he's talking about repairs and maintenance and how you're estimating those costs, making sure that you're looking into all that stuff of where money might have to go. And inevitably like all, I think everyone in the real estate investing career, um, you know, I know Dennis is on here, uh, who's one of our investors and um, on Clubhouse, I, I see him right now, he's listening along. I'm sure Dennis can say the same thing that he's ran into deals um, where, you know, it's definitely cost him more and took longer than he thought it was going to. And so, um, so that's, that's a big one. Um, you know, the tax thing I just talked about is a big one. Um, I would, I would say those are the biggest ones for me. Those are the biggest ones. And then, and then, you know, the other thing that I can always point back and go to is that like, I, I don't really wish I would have changed anything, but if I did change something, I would have tried to find a way to go bigger earlier on. Okay, so sort of expect the unexpected. Expect to maybe add another 10, 15, 20% of what you think you're going to be Right, and I, mean, and I mean, I've no. been involved in tech, tech, pro, tech projects as well, like uh, two or three tech projects. So like you can probably relate to that because it's the same thing in your industry. Of course, yeah. Contingency, right? Contingency planning. Yeah. See oh, thank you. Yep, yep, good question. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. From London. It's like 7 p.m. there probably. Tuning in from London. All right. Uh, on a Friday night in London, she's tuning into the Justin Spaulding Show, episode 11. It's awesome. All right. Next question, Mudeen. 7.44. 7.44. Yeah, I know, I know it's 6. I know, my, I know my time zones, dude. Oh, okay. I'm going to get someone. Yeah, what time is it in Italy? It's about the same time in Italy probably. Maybe maybe 7 hours. Well, until we spring ahead in the spring. Cause they don't spring ahead, dude. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. What software do I use to run your numbers? Can I walk uh, us through a deal side by side? Um, I think maybe next week we can do that. Walk through a deal side by side, like share my screen somehow or something. I think that's what he means by that. And I guess I don't know if he's actually talking about like one of our current deals or. I mean, what we could do is, is you could hold up your laptop and zoom. I just I just want solutions around here. I don't want excuses. Well, I'm telling you, it is it is 100 percent possible. We just have to have the right equipment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fox News and ESPN—they're throwing up all this stuff. We can like figure something out. Expenses are gonna be high. It's a hundred bucks probably. No. For capture cards, one Oh, okay. That was off by eighty bucks. All right. Need more USB. I think we need to figure it out. Oh, maybe a new PC. Because then I can, I could, I could do this right now. I could go through. Actually, I, I mean, it's two, it's two separate things. I'd probably go through like our Appfolio. So number one, I use Appfolio for our current. We use Appfolio around here for our property management software, um, and that that takes care of you know all like we can do advertising through there. We can do leases through there. We can do our notices, like late notices and stuff through there. They have tenant portals. They can pay online through Appfolio. And that's also where all of our accounting, our property accounting is. Um, so I'd be able to, if we could, if we could stop making excuses around here, Maudine and Ryder, if we freaking stop making excuses around here. All right. So this is the problem. This is what you need, right? But here's the thing. I would be able to. I would be able to. Number one, go through Appfolio and show some of our current properties and how we look at it, how I break it down. Uh, but then also, I'd be able to go for Excel. I use. Why is my head cut off? And then, and then, what we could do as well is go through like some new deals that we're looking at. Um, I gotta sometimes be hard on you guys around here. I, I can go through some of the properties that we're looking at like on Excel. So I use Excel for our performance projections and, and all that stuff. Um, the other thing about- Okay, what were you saying now? You I can, was saying that computer is not gonna be sufficient enough for camera already wiring through that thing. And then, I mean, you just have problems going there, USBs, that thing. I got need a more powerful- What do you computer, think, Monty? Especially for a capture card. Okay. So what was the thing that you just brought up on your computer? That's a capture card. So that's capture what, card? Yeah, so what it's going to do is it's going to duplicate your display and put it onto OBS. But you're going to need a more powerful computer. What do we need for a computer? 
I, this is an i7 right here. I7. That That's probably an i7 right here. We got like four computers in here right now. Yeah, but those what i7 still lagged last. So what do we need then? This is i7 10th, 10th gen. Probably a high-end graphics card. So what does that cost? What are we gonna? You're looking at a thousand dollars for a graphics card, and that's just one. Computer. So okay, so we can do it. All right. We can do it though. Yeah, I'll, okay. build, a, I'll build a computer in here for. All you. right. So hopefully next week, maybe next week we can just try. What if we try this i7? Well, I think it's a GTX. What we're using is fine. We can give it a shot. And all right. Here's another learning lesson, right? Everyone's like, I can't do a podcast yet because I don't have all the equipment. Like, we're we're talking about our equipment and trying to figure this out as we're going. So, just move forward and take action. That's a good learning lesson from that conversation right there. For those of you who are actually still with us, through that years it took me to understand we're, how we're to not, run everything like this. Well, I mean, yeah. Like there was a time where I didn't even know. Well, you're only 18, so it can't be too many years, right? No, it was since I was 12. 12 is when I started researching and built my first computer. All right. Well, I think next week, maybe we can at least just, maybe yeah. we can get that. Because either way, we need the thing yeah, you just showed right there. Yeah, we can try the capture card on here, see how it runs. It makes things All right, that's what, that's what we'll try. And then, and then we'll have a backup for next week. If we can't do side-by-side -side deals next week on that, because it's not working in the moment, we'll have questions to back us up and roll that way. All right, that's the strategy for Justin Spaulding's show, episode 12, if you're still t tuning in here. Um, but yeah, so the question, I mean, that, that's pretty much that. We got to your question right there. You heard the very long-winded plan to be able to execute and answer your question over the next couple weeks. Next question, Muddy. Justin, if you guys don't have another question, um, go ahead if you do, but uh, I've got one on the side. Oh, we just used that one, Mundine. Yeah, Greg, while we're still shuffling through our questions, I'll let you shoot for it. Our production our production staff is just struggling in here today. Oh, not me. No. I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> uh, have, you, uh, have you utilized or educated yourself at all on opportunity zones and um, investing in opportunity zones? So I've, I've gone to uh, three or four meetings. Two of those meetings were early on, I want to say like two years ago, and there were still a lot of unknowns with the opportunity zones. Uh, I get the concept. I know the concept. I understand like how they work somewhat. Um, I've just never really been able to the type of investing that we do. Um, you know, and this is this is once again from we would either have to essentially do new development to really benefit from it, or basically buy a building and completely like completely like gut the whole building almost and turn it into like apartments because you would have to. I can't remember the exact numbers, but. Let's say, for example, if I buy a $2 million building, I can't just put in $200,000 of upgrades and have it qualify for Opportunity Zone benefits. Um, I, I would have to substantially do more than that. I'd have to, if I bought it for $2 million, I think it was something like I would have to put at least another $2 million into the building, like rehabbing it to have the, the actual Opportunity Zone benefits. Um, so is that what you were trying to ask me? Just like looking at them like that, or what are you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm uh, I'm pretty early on in educating myself about it, but I think from an OPM standpoint, um, from what I understand, you can stack investor money on top of a cash flowing real estate asset, and uh, once that asset gets sold on the back end, that investor money. Um, the investors won't pay capital well, gains. Yeah. So okay. So the, so so high level. What opportunity zone is? Yes. If someone sells a business, they have capital gains. They could invest in an opportunity zone, and if they're invested in there from there's a there's a there's a certain step up in basis that they get. Meaning, if they're if they hold on to that investment for I think it's ten years, uh, and then they sell it, all the, all of their capital gains tax from that previous sale, I believe, are are completely wiped out and forgiven. Um, but like I said, like you have to, yes. And someone just confirmed what I said. Someone on Instagram just confirmed what I said earlier that you have to double your basis to qualify as an opportunity zone. So they didn't want to create these opportunity zones just to have real estate people like me go in buy a $2 million building, put just, just a mere $200,000 into it, and then be able to have all these benefits from the opportunity zone. They wanted substantial improvement of those neighborhoods. They wanted to bring in more than just having real estate people get a hold of this. They wanted to bring in more businesses. Um, 
So, and yes, obviously businesses all start with real estate because they need the real estate to operate out of. But for the actual real estate to be considered as the opportunity zone business and those benefits, you have to double your basis. So once again, you buy a $2 million building, you know, you're going to have to, it's going to have to be a significant rehab job. You're going to have to double your basis, which essentially, I mean, essentially you have to put in $2 million um, to make that thing work. From my understanding, once again, I would say my understanding is maybe uh it could it could, my understanding could multiply by 10x that's how much i'm probably lacking in that but it's just once i started to look into it and fit, it's not like it's not like our business plan i'm not looking to rush to an opportunity zone to potentially save some some of our investors or myself capital gains tax on another project only then to lose the whole investment and have it go wrong so it just never really felt like a fit for me although i did spend like i said you know 10 to 15 hours in meetings with attorneys accountants uh, seeing different presentations and, and all this stuff. I do know one of our one of our investors, they they also invest in um, just apartment communities all across the country and in new development. And they've been a part of um, some opportunity zones. But once again, it was basically it was it was basically buying vacant either teardown or vacant land and then developing a brand new site. Never once has it been something similar to what I've done where you've bought a place and just put in at a, at a most $15,000 per unit into the place. Cause like I said, that would not meet the threshold and you wouldn't get the benefit of the opportunity zone. Um, again, from my understanding for whatever that's worth. So. And there's a step down. I think like if you do successfully get into an opportunity zone, if you sell before the 10 years, I think it's either like five or seven, where then you're, partial, you're partially forgiven some of that capital gains tax. Um, but you know, there's a reason that they're wanting to forgive those capital gains tax uh, as well. And, and I'm getting confirmation right now on Instagram Live that as a high level overview, what I'm saying is accurate. Um, but um, you know, I, I look at it too. There's a reason why you're you're allowed to be forgiven on your capital gains tax from the sale of a previous business if you roll it in. And the reason is, is because you're taking more risk. You're going to a place, these opportunity zones, 90, 95% of these opportunity zones are places that, you know, they're in rougher shape, right? And there's, so, so there's more risk theoretically in anything that you're doing there. And for taking that risk, they're gonna reward you because that investment would likely, likely never, ever, 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 ever happen without this incentive, right? So. Uh, but this is what I do know as well. The guys that I talked about before that they invest with us and they also do other projects where they've done opportunity zones and they've done, you know, ground up builds. Um, they, they've been able to find, basically they've been able to find two areas, one in South Carolina, one in Connecticut that should have never qualified for opportunity zones because of the area. And it's, it's more of a, it's it's probably like they're probably two of the most affluent sites in the, across the whole country that were deemed opportunity zones. Um, so they probably really shouldn't have been opportunity zones. So they looked at it like, wow, we're gonna have this benefit, and really our risk profile is no different than any other deal we're doing because the demographics of this area just happen to be better than any other uh, opportunity zone in the country. So um, that's a little bit about that. I don't know enough to you know go. And like I said, I've said this on the show before, I'm not gonna go into down some rabbit hole and act like I know and I don't I don't know, but what I shared with you right now is my understanding, what I know um at this point in time. So. Let me see if we um so if if anyone on Clubhouse has a question, we can take those now. I'm looking through Instagram to see if we had any other questions. I'm not seeing any other questions right now. Um, and then, yeah, the same guy that's commenting on Instagram Live, he's he's still just saying, um, yeah, he just and he just confirmed what I said. Some opportunity zones aren't in as bad a shape as others. Um, so. Ryder, Ryder well, it's, it's has a question. It's, it's, it's questions that somehow got lost somewhere. Um, oh, so we do have more questions, but we just missed out. This guy, I tell you. So I owe, I owe, I owe him, <laughs> right now, Maudine's like working on it for us. So this is like a contract type basis. I owe him a hundred bucks. Here's your hundred dollars. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, 
questions? That's the fir- it's the first time we've really had an issue on getting questions up. So yeah, Mudeen's gonna do a great job. It's nothing against Mudeen. Yeah. I'm just a little, a little salty bit, right now. A little bit. Um, should I buy SF rentals or wait to buy multi-unit? My brother and I can't decide which one. Say it again. Should I buy SF rentals? Can he? Can they hear him on here? So when I. Oh, here, hold on, hold on, hold on. Should I buy SF rentals or wait to buy multi-unit? My brother and I can't decide which one's better. So when it comes to the single family, more more units is better. I'm going to say it every single time, probably every episode. Like when we're on episode 235 of the Justin Spaulding show, I'll probably have said this 234, 235 times. The more property, the more units that you can buy in one location, the better. That being said, when people are asking these questions, they're usually looking for a way to get started. And you got to find a way to get your foot in the door. If you're going to buy, and I'm going to say this over and over and over again, probably on every single show. If you're going to buy single family or a duplex, my question is then how fast can you get in and out of that deal? Can you get in that deal, add value to that deal, rehab it, and almost have it be more like a flip? Take that money, go to the next single family, once again, to help accelerate your savings so that you can go out and get that larger multifamily building, right? So it's more of a business play versus like in a straight up investment play. When I look at, when I look at this big uh, multifamily real estate, that's straight up, that is real hardcore big time investing, right? When people start talking about single families, 99% of that is not investing. It's actually like a, a smaller business, which there's nothing wrong with that. Now make that smaller business have have uh, have cash flow, right? Well, how do you have businesses have cash flow? You have to have more transactions, right? You gotta you gotta be able to turn, right? You have to have turns. So you gotta get a single family in this scenario and have that more of be inventory that you now want to get off your shelf. Which this is actually a new way of me saying this. I've never said it like that before. If you're buying smaller stuff, view it as inventory, just like you would this bottle of water or whatever else you can sell, this this phone, this wallet, treat that more like those. How fast do those companies wanna sell those items? Really fast, right? Why? Because it brings them more cash. They buy more of this for a quarter, go and sell this for six bucks or whatever, right? More cash, go build their business, right? So the smaller your property is, the more you should treat it like inventory. There are certain assets that are 330 units and beautiful places, great locations that people aren't necessarily viewing that as inventory it's a, it's a real investment that they're going to want to keep for five seven ten years i the worst thing in the world to, in my opinion is try to keep a single family home for 10 years or 30 single family homes for 10 years like what i would do is and dennis i see your question i'm gonna invite you as a speaker in one second what i would do is treat that single family go go do the single family home right i'm i'm right now i'm invested in a flip with josh eastman my partner in the storage units um I'm investing in a flip with him, right? He's doing all this, all the work and everything. But we're viewing that that's that's a that's not an investment like the storage units were. Yes, we only had the storage units for three years, Josh and I did, but we had intent of holding on for longer. We just ended up having a really good opportunity to sell them really quick, get it off our books, go on and scale up, right? Well, that's the same thing with these single families. View it as true inventory. Don't view it as a long-term investment. Add value to it. Get into a situation where you can add value to it relatively quick. Sell it. Get it off your shelf, right? Hopefully you buy it for 80000 you sell it for 200000 You go find one of those deals. Yes, buy that single family home and do that. But now don't, don't add value to that $80,000 home and have $200,000, have it be worth $200,000 and sit on it and rent it. Don't do that. That's stupid in my opinion. Sell it, make the 120, go out, find another one for 80, right? Buy it. Right, take the take ten that you had, put it down, get a loan, buy it. Now you still have 110 in savings. Take turn that second house from 80 into 200 again. Now you got another 120 plus the 110 on the sideline. Now you got 230 thousand dollars sitting there. Now you can go buy a million dollar multifamily building. And then the more units that you get, you can plan on holding those for a longer time. You might have a great opportunity to sell it sooner. Great, but plan on holding it for seven years. Plan on holding it for 12 years or 15 years. There's some generational type assets that people would not mind holding on to forever. So that's my uh, opinion on that. I'm going to bring uh, Dennis in. Dennis is one of our investors and he's coming in on Clubhouse because he's raising his hand. Dennis, you should be able to talk, I think. Hi, everyone. There he is. Hi, everyone. Hi, Justin. Hi, Greg. Um, 
I have a question um, as to what I'm seeing right now, uh, people migrating from Illinois to Wisconsin and, and Indiana. I guess uh, right now, I mean, not right now, maybe within a couple of years, we'll see like uh, Wisconsin being an, an emerging market. Um, are you seeing any differences as far as like increased demand for multifamily in your area? Dude, for, for uh, that's sure. The, that's my question. And then because I'm looking at other opportunities and at this point, I see Wisconsin as like, you know, the, the best market to jump into these days. And uh, and I'm going to be, con- you know, looking for some properties there. And once again, since you're my partner, uh, I'll uh, I'll be looking after you. And what, what are you going to have to offer within yeah. the next few months? Dude, I for sure, like Dennis, stuff that like a year and a half ago would have sold for $60,000. People are listing it right now for 110 that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And 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 this is this was my whole thing. Like five years ago, people were like, "Oh, why are you trying to invest in Wisconsin?" And I was at a thing in 2017 with uh, Brian Bulio down in uh, where was that at Florida or something. And he's he's from Chicago, but he happened to say there's like a thousand of us in the room from all over the country. He was standing up there and he's like, "Okay, those of you in Wisconsin, stand up." And I was like, "Oh, okay." You know, stood up. He said, "Everyone, look around. No one is going to care about. No one that's in Wisconsin is going to care about." Um, the wall being built in between Mexico and the United States, you're going to want a wall built between Illinois and Wisconsin when it comes to politics, because everyone's just going to be leaving. He's like, everyone's going to be leaving. And everyone is from like, I have deals that come across my desk all the time from Illinois. And um, you look at the numbers and people are leaving Illinois and Chicago, Chicago specifically, but even Illinois in general, uh, just hand over fist and go into, you know, Michigan and, you know, more so Indiana and Wisconsin than anything. But, um, but yeah, and, and I mean, we're seeing it, you know, I mean, it, um, just in like the investments that we've had and, you know, all this stuff. Um, and, and, and I've just believed in it too, just because some of the decisions that were made by our, you know, Scott Walker, you know, 10 years ago now, he made some really good decisions that were long-term decisions that he got a lot of heat for. Um, but it, it, for the long-term of the state, it's going to be a very, very good thing. So, um, so yeah, you know, we'll see, but I, yeah, it's, I, I would, I would say that something's really changed and, um, um, Wisconsin is just crazy from a single family market side right now too, because I got, I even have a couple employees that live in, I have one employee that lives in, in, well, actually we had, we had two employees that one lived in downtown Chicago. She moved to Madison. She got out of Chicago. Uh, then we have a maintenance tech. He lives just across the border. He's in Illinois right now. They're looking to leave Illinois and move right across the border into the Janesville area. And so you look at that and I think that's going to keep happening, you know, more and more uh, just because Illinois is, I don't know, I've, I've refused to do any deals down there. Ryder's probably like, <laughs> no, Ryder's no, no, probably no. like crap because he's investing in, he's investing in, in Illinois and Rockford right now. But that's just been my mindset um, that I've, I've completely avoided Illinois um, for what we just talked about there, Dennis. Thanks, thanks for the feedback. You, um, appreciate that. And- yeah, thanks for having me here. You bet, you bet. And the de- and the deal, Dennis, that like we I talked with you, you know, uh, a couple weeks back, and like what some of the brokers are saying about some of our Janesville deals and you know stuff like that, what they're what they're thinking that they'd go for. I'm just like, wow, it's it's insane. So, uh, and they and there's a lot of you know talking to a lot of those guys at JLL and CBRE and you know whatever. I mean, there's money that's even even Florida money and stuff is trying to get into the Midwest, you know, and um, you know, so there's California money, New York money that not only are people, not only are those people wanting to invest in the Southeast, like Florida, you know, Georgia, all that stuff, but they're also now looking in the Midwest, and you know, people are looking at Wisconsin. So, um, you know, who knows? Hey, Dennis, while you're talking, um, come to our uh, real estate open forum on March 10th at 6 p.m. You can follow Justin or follow me and get an invite to that and uh, come and ask some more questions. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. And I'll talk to you later today, probably, Dennis. Yeah, I'll talk to you later today. Yep. All right. So, Ryder, do we have any other questions that are in there? Or? No, I was going to add in there that I think... Crazy. I think that's, I mean... On you know, the single family market, it's like it seems like it's hot everywhere right now, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, I keep going back to you know the supply thing. 
you know, when, when 07, 08, 09, all that was happening, nothing was being built anymore. It stopped. Like, it was being built like crazy, you know, 2001, 02, 03, 04, 05. We were like building, 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 building. And then all of a sudden when that happened, the game was over and the music stopped. And, I mean, nothing was built around here until, like, 2014, 15. I mean, in the southern Wisconsin area, nothing. So now you go that long without anything being built. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, there was nothing until last summer in Janesville that was built for multifamily since 2005 or something like that. Other than like, there's a four unit here and there, you know, whatever right. duplex doesn't count. Right. But like, I'm talking like a, a, a 16 unit plus you know, 30 unit, 80 unit, 100 unit. So, so the demand and the same thing for the single family, multifamily, all alike. I mean, you know, there's still been more apartments. Apartments weren't as in demand in the eighties as they are now. Demand's probably, you know, gone up. I'm just pulling this number out of my butt, but it's just demand's gone up 25, 30%, whatever, for apartments since the 80s. But we still haven't even built as many apartments between 2010 and, and 2020 as they did in the 80s. Yet, even though the, the demand has gone up and, um, you know, in, in around 07, 08, 09, there was really nothing, nothing being built. So, so, you know, I don't know. And I was talking about this with someone earlier today that what, that's the question. When's it all going to stop? And what's gonna what's gonna happen? And it's like I don't I don't know because right now there's still there's still a shortage. So and 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 not just a sh- you know there's a shortage in general, but then especially when you're looking at affordable like more affordable type living, that's def- that's even tighter shortage than the whole macro viewpoint in general. I mean you know trying to find apartments that are you know between eight hundred you know seven fifty to to twelve hundred dollars a month. $1,300 a month in, in anywhere in the country is insanely hard that are, that are once again, decent quality, right? That give people a good home to live in. Uh, it's hard to find. So, so that being said, I think that's going to be a wrap for Justin Spalding show episode 11. Thank you guys for joining us. If you're not um, aware, uh, March and you can follow me, ask me for details, but on March 10th, we're going to be doing a meetup on uh, clubhouse. Um, there's going to be six of us on there. There's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of millions of dollars worth of deals represented on that call on that clubhouse. So um, let me know, shoot me an Instagram message. If you want that invite, I'll also be posting uh, the link to that um, invite. So be, be on the lookout for that. And hopefully you guys will join us um, next Wednesday for that. And then uh, yeah, you can find us on Spotify now. You can download these podcasts on Spotify, Apple, um, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube. If you have not subscribed yet on YouTube, please go and subscribe on YouTube. I want to get the YouTube game up. Uh, go check me out there. Subscribe. You can watch us live. Just trying to distribute this as many places as possible. Make it as easy as possible for you to watch, uh, listen, learn um, from the experiences that that I've had personally over the last 10 years in, in real estate business entrepreneurship. So that being said, have a uh, great weekend and we will uh, talk to you all soon.